Sharon McMahon is a former high school government and law teacher who earned a reputation as America's government teacher amidst the historic 2020 election proceedings for her viral efforts on Instagram to educate the general public on political misinformation. Through a simple mission to share nonpartisan information about democracy, Sharon has amassed hundreds of thousands of followers online, affectionately called governards, who look to her for truth and logic in a society plagued by bias and conspiracy. I had the absolute pleasure and privilege of hanging out with Sharon for an hour virtually, and today I'm sharing all the wisdom and insight that she shared with me with you. I personally found Sharon during the height of that political unrest in 2020, and she was more than a breath of fresh air for me. I've learned so much from her just by following her on Instagram, and whether you're already a governor or you're just hearing about her for the first time today, I guarantee you you're about to learn a ton from this episode too. Sharon, I'm so excited to have you here today. I'm a governor and a fan, and I've learned so much from you and so thrilled to be able to learn more today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just so excited and especially grateful that you're giving your time to me the week of Christmas. I'm sure you have nothing else going on. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So this is really such a treat for me. Thank you so much. Mm. So for anyone who isn't familiar with you, can you give just a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am a longtime government and law teacher, and I have an Instagram account called Sharon Says So, where I answer a lot of government-related questions in just sort of a nonpartisan, fact-based way. I teach live workshops. I have a podcast. So all kinds of little venues for me to land in your eardrums. Yes. Okay, perfect description. And I found you right around the time of the last presidential election. And it was super helpful to have you break down facts versus fiction versus rumor. And it just was Mm -hmm. so refreshing to have this real life human person. Not that people on the news are not humans and they're not real, but it just always is like, okay, which angle are you coming from? And I felt like it was so refreshing to find you and find someone who was sharing both sides and sharing facts and sharing things that I felt like were really gave me clarity during that time that I needed it a lot. So, and I've been following along ever since. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to ask, first of all, where did this passion for government and politics and current events come from? You know, I can trace it back to my first job, which was a paper route when I was 12. Oh, wow. And I would get up super early in the morning and would before sunrise and would walk along this route, which was a couple of miles long, delivering newspapers. And this was pre-cell phones, pre-iPods. And so it was boring. I was literally out there in the dark and the cold doing nothing (laughs) except walking along a street, delivering newspapers to people. And so I started reading the newspaper and I would have to do it very kind of surreptitiously, like, so they wouldn't know that their newspaper had been read. Like I would have to very carefully unfold it (laughs) and then very carefully refold it. And then of course I would have to start with the next newspaper as soon as I delivered that one, pick up where I left off. So I can remember finding the newspaper interesting to read as young as 
12 in part because I had nothing else to do at the time. And it really just ignited a lifelong interest and passion for those topics. That is so cool. And like mad respect too for you doing a paper route at that age. That's <laughs> that's hard work. And where did you grow up? I grew up in northern Minnesota, where it's very, very cold Freezing. in the wintertime. Yes. Yes. And I re- still vividly remember that I earned $72 a month, which was a lot of money for, for a 12-year-old. 12-year-old. Yes. When I was a child. Yes. And people were like, what are you going to do with $72? You know, like that was, that was, that was a lot of money. Then I think $72 a month is still a lot for a 12 year old. Totally. What did you do? Were you smart in investing and wise with saving <laughs> at that age? Or does that come with time? I certainly did not invest any of my money. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> I was not smart enough to be like, let me get this into an IRA no. right now. But you know what I did with a lot of it was I bought gifts for my siblings. Oh, that's really I sweet. absolutely, I just discovered at a young age when I had money, I discovered how much joy it brought me to buy them things. And I certainly bought myself things. I bought myself shoes and candy and like all the things that preteens want to buy with their money. But I loved being able to go to the mall or go to Target and pick things out for my siblings with my money. That's really, really cool. Hmm. So I scrolled back quite a ways and found that you were doing photography at one point on Instagram and sharing these beautiful pictures and had clients and babies and families and things like that. Where did the shift come in from, I'm going to share that too, I'm going to share about more about politics and government and things like that? Mm, It really started in September of 2020 when I started noticing lots of misinformation and also just misunderstanding. Maybe there was no any kind of nefarious intent. It was just like an honest misunderstanding of exactly how the electoral process works. And then when you have multiple people that are speaking to each other and none of them have a full picture of what's happening, there's a lot of like, yeah, that sounds right. Or yeah, I, I believe that that sounds, I'm gonna, you sound like, you know, you're talking about, yep. I'm going to go with it. Yep. And I think that's a very common problem on social media is people latch on to things they like the sound of. Yes. I like the sound of that. And so I'm going to go with that because I like you and I like what you're saying. And so now I will, I'll believe that. Right. Like an echo chamber is comfortable. It hundred percent is reaching out, branching out of that echo chamber is requires a lot more commitment, personal growth. It feels any kind of growth feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I decided to, rather than fighting with strangers on the internet, Mm -hmm. which ultimately has never proven fruitful. Right. (laughs) Nobody is ever like, yes, that's right. Nobody is ever like, wow, this fight has really helped me. You know what I mean? No one ever feels that way. Um, I decided that rather than engaging in a million little fights with random people on the internet, that I would just start making some very short, nonpartisan, fact-based explainer videos about things like, here is how the Electoral College works. Because It happens once every four years. We kind of use it and lose it. Maybe we never truly understood it four years ago, and we still don't truly understand it now. So I just started making those little videos thinking that 
people could then reference them when they wanted to refresh their memory or when they wanted to share it with somebody else. And that was really the genesis was my little short explainer videos that I started posting on Instagram. Yeah. And they are so helpful, continue to be so helpful to me and so many other people. Yes, of course. A question for you that I've always wanted to ask, where do you get your news and where should we all be? I mean, I know we should be balancing it out with different places, but I always wonder that. Where does she get her her good sources of different balanced information? Well, I I fully recognize that most people don't have multiple hours a day to devote to reading the news like I do. Correct. Right? Like that's not the average person's life. And when I was very, very busy teaching or running other businesses or in the thick of having a newborn, I certainly didn't have time to do that. So I don't have this expectation that everybody needs to sit around reading the news for hours a day. But in terms of where I get my news from, I read about seven to 10 news sources a day, depending on what is happening in the world. If it is a very, very busy news day, I'm going to be reading more. If it's a quieter news day, like today, the day that we're recording this is a quieter news day. There is not a lot of like big things happening in the world. And so if you visit 10 sources today, they're all going to just be kind of repeating the same things and you're not going to be, it's not going to be as useful. So on a quieter day today, I, I do read less, but I always make a point of reading from both ends of the political spectrum mm-hmm. and also focusing heavily on sources that are frequently used by other sources. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage people to investigate the Associated Press and Reuters, which are both wire services that are widely used by news sources on both the left and the right. If you visit Newsmax, you'll see them using Reuters wire service frequently. If you visit CNN, you'll see them little disclaimers at the bottom of the an article saying the Associated Press contributed to this report. And so the reason I find those two organizations extremely useful is because they don't have big TV channels. Mm-hmm. They don't have these ratings-driven focus. Their goal is to provide information to all of the broadcast and print journalists of the world. They have networks of thousands of reporters all over the world. If You are looking at like on the ground reporting, let's say some bombing happens overseas, they are going to call on their network of reporters that actually is there right then and there. Right. Uh, It's not going to just be a game of telephone of like, what did you hear? Oh, yeah. Ask Bob. What did he Mm -hmm. hear? It's firsthand. And then because it's not ratings-based, the other news organizations pay for subscriptions to the Associated Press and Reuters. So because it's not ratings-based, It has a much stronger focus on just reporting the facts in a less sensationalized manner. Yeah, I love that. I earned a degree in broadcast journalism and remember learning from my professors to really lean heavily on the Associated Press. And they used to tell me the BBC, too, was a good, Mm -hmm. pretty neutral place. Do you agree with that? I do enjoy the BBC. And in some ways, overseas press is is sometimes less inflammatory Mm. than American cable news. There is literally nothing more inflammatory than American cable news. Right, right. Truly. And that has changed a lot over the years. I remember when I did broadcast journalism from 2004 to 7, 
it felt different turning the news on than it does now. Mm-hmm. It felt a little mm-hmm. more, okay, we're trying to be ethically not mm-hmm. totally leaning so hard on one side that it's super obvious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it feels different now, to me, at least. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Yeah. that's. I think that's a common sentiment. Which leads me to my next question. I think it's really difficult to know how to teach your kids to understand that polarity and understand how this world works with two different sides that are trying to act like opinion is fact. How do you teach kids about that and not kind of instill fear or a distrust and help them to understand that there is truth to be found in this weird world that we live in? Does that make sense? It does. It does. I think it starts with developing critical thinking skills absent of the news. So rather than saying, let's sit down and let's talk about this giant news story that's happening and you're going to use your non-existent critical thinking skills to try to tease out what is opinion and what is fact, it's helpful to develop those skills of what is opinion and what is fact in real life. Mm. You can use those skills in your sibling relationships. You can use those skills in your in school, in relationships with your friends and parents. You can just always sort of be using that language of, are you sharing your opinion about what dinner is like today? Mm-hmm. Or are you sharing facts about what dinner is today? So you can make it as simple as, okay, what are the facts of what we're having for dinner? And they might say something like, we're having yucky, disgusting meatloaf. Yes. And then you can have a conversation about what aspect of that phrase, I mean, you make it age appropriate, clearly, Mm -hmm. is the fact, the fact is that we're having meatloaf. Your opinion is that it's yucky and disgusting. Daddy might have a different opinion that it's delicious and his favorite meal. Mm -hmm. But the fact, fact remains that it's meatloaf right? That is where I think a lot of people get stuck. They they read the phrase yucky, disgusting meatloaf, and they immediately discount the news source as nothing they say is accurate or has any basis in fact. And it's important to remember that a, a bias, like a bias against meatloaf, doesn't mean that, that it is a lie. You are still having meatloaf. You're just characterizing the meatloaf in a different way than somebody else might characterize the meatloaf. Okay. That's a great analogy. I'm going to have to use that with my kids because (laughs) they would say mom's version of macro-friendly chicken and broccoli is disgusting. And Gaga, my grandma or their grandma, my mom's version that has like the canned chicken soup and or canned cream of chicken soup and mayonnaise and cheese and all the really fattening things that's delicious and mom's macro friendly version is disgusting they would say that as fact <laughs> so that'll be a great way to explain that to them so i appreciate yes. that thank you yes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you could go to lunch i'm sure you've heard this before but if you could go to lunch with one person who's deceased and one person alive who would those people be can you choose one i don't know that's a, probably a hard question Oh my goodness. Well, there's a lot of people that I would love to have lunch with. (laughs) I do think one of my deceased picks has to be one of the framers of the constitution. It's hard to choose which one, hard to choose which one, but Alexander Hamilton is always a fan favorite just because there's a show about him and there's always like, oh my gosh, I'm so fascinated by him. And he is a very fascinating character. He's kind of spicy. Yeah. There's a lot there. 
That's right. He has some skeletons in his closet and a very unique origin story. So he's always, people are curious about him. But I do think that I would probably choose somebody who was even more integral to the process, but perhaps less well-known. I might go with Hmm. somebody who is on one of the committees of style that was aimed at actually hammering out the language of the constitution. So I don't know if I could pick like here and now which person it was, but it would have to be somebody in that vein. Okay. And then if I was going to pick lunch with somebody who is alive, that is another great question. I would love to, hmm, good question. There's so many to choose from. There's so many people in the world. (laughs) Okay. I do have, I do have, I'll bend the rules a little bit. And there's two people that I would love to have lunch with at the same time, which are Michelle Obama and George W. Bush. Okay. Because I, they are very, very good friends with each other. Are they? They are very good friends. And they really enjoy each other. If you Google pictures of Michelle Obama and George Chevy Bush together, every picture of them together, they are laughing hysterically. They he his sense of humor like just tickles her funny bone. They really <laughs> have a great time together. And I also really love seeing that interaction of people who do not agree about everything, but right. who can still enjoy each other as friends. And that their friendship is not predicated on complete agreement on every single topic in the world. Yeah. They can have different viewpoints and still be good friends, still really enjoy each other. So I would love to explore that relationship more. And I would also really love to hear more about the like behind the scenes of living in the White House from both of their perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that, do you think, a talent or a learned skill? The being able to be have true, genuine friendships with people who have very, I mean, they're both extremely opinionated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think some, some personalities lend themselves better to being more flexible in their thinking. Mm-hmm. This is borne out in psychological studies that flexibility in thinking is in part an inborn personality trait. Some people whose thinking might naturally be more flexible might have more space, more room for somebody who doesn't necessarily agree with them. And that doesn't irritate them the way it does somebody who is more rigid in their way of thinking. I'm not casting any kind of aspersions on the character of people who have rigid thinking. It's I'm not saying rigid is bad and flexible is good. We need both. Both are important. But having more rigid thinking is also has positive attributes. But people who naturally are more rigid in their thinking can learn to tolerate the distress that they sometimes feel when they are confronted with ideas or beliefs or people that rub them the wrong way. Mm -hmm. It's a phrase that is common in therapy is distress tolerance, that we can all improve our distress tolerance, Mm. meaning we can improve how well we sit with uncomfortable feelings. I love that. And I feel like you're an advocate for that, which I love. Yes. That really, really means a lot to me when I see your posts and when I see you advocating for 
people being more tolerant and understand, like seeking to understand that. I just think that's so mm-hmm. cool that you do that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think it's really important. We have gone through under the last number of years, gone through a cycle of extreme polarization and there is an answer to extreme polarization. And it really does begin with each of us. We like to just blame people outside of ourselves. We like to blame the media. We like to blame political figures. We like to say, well, if this wasn't going on, then X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) When in reality, we need to look at ourselves. Many of us are participating in it. And if we want something to change, we can only control what we can control, which is our own behavior. All of us doing something small has a much greater impact than a couple of people trying to fix everything. So imagine, for example, if somebody that works at one of the big news channels said, okay, guys, we are going to fix polarization. It is going to be fixed in the next two weeks. (laughs) Would that actually fix it? Probably not. It probably really, really wouldn't. And it's kind of like somebody saying, we're going to fix racism. It's going to be fixed Mm -hmm. in two weeks. A small handful of people trying to enact uh, change on the populace as a whole is not particularly useful. The change really needs to come from all of us. We all need to own our part. All of us can get better at it. All of us can extend an olive branch. All of us can change our own thoughts and our own actions. And that will be, be more useful than a couple of people trying to fix everything. loved your post recently about there not being a winner and a loser, that two people can disagree and it doesn't have to produce the outcome of one wins and one loses. I thought that was also very insightful. Thank you. Most, most things in, most things in life, there are a few exceptions, but most things in life are not zero sum games Mm -hmm. where in order for me to win, I have to force you to lose. Yeah. Most things are not that way. And it's time to stop looking at literally everything. I think this is where a lot of people are in America right now. Literally everything is viewed through the lens of zero-sum game. Yes. If we agree to that tax structure, then you are morally bankrupt. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like this, if we agree that we're going to change the corporate tax rate to 24% instead of 22%, moral bankruptcy. You know what I mean? And that's just not, that's just not the case. (laughs) Right. Also, I just feel like I see it so much with neighbors and friends and people fighting on Facebook about the vaccine and about COVID and about all of those things. And it's like, we will not ever find a winner and a loser here. And people are just so certain about being a million percent right, which is impossible, as impossible mm. as, I don't know. So I, that's like a really touchy subject, but I just feel like mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. are good people on both sides of this argument who have great things to say and great points. And I just feel like there's, to me, I feel like the truth is somewhere in the middle oftentimes. 
It's like you take a little bit from the one side and a little bit from the other. And to me, the truth feels like it's somewhere in the middle and not completely on one side or completely on the other side. Maybe that's just my personal ethics. Well, and some people like you might feel more comfortable with that. Maybe you are, maybe you are somebody who feels uncomfortable with conflict. And so you would rather see a a compromise happen like immediately than to prolong conflict. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just I'm actually okay with conflict. My husband is definitely the one in our marriage who's like, this is gonna be a fight, then you win. <laughs> <laughs> is he an Enneagram nine? I, you know what? I don't, I, I take the Enneagram and I forget what number I am every time. And I don't know what number he is either. But if you're familiar with the color code, he is a white through and through. Okay. Okay. So everyone has a role to play and everybody's role is important. Yeah. So people like your husband who are extreme peace seekers, that. That's an important thing to have in the world. We can't all just be like, let's have conflict 24-7. Seriously. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about something else that I think you've done so beautifully that's been so meaningful for me to watch and be part of, which is all of the money raising for good that you've done. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I want to start with teacher grants and where that came from as like where, where that idea was born and what you've been able to do with that and what that's meant to you? Well, I have been a teacher for a very long time, not currently working in the classroom. My classroom is Instagram Mm -hmm. in many ways, but I have worked in public schools in California that literally had no soap, paper towels, hot water, or toilet paper. Crazy. And this is in the Bay Area of California. We're not talking about like an extreme middle-class community, not an extreme poverty situation. And so there are schools that are even worse off than that. So one of the things that I think is very important for people to realize, and this is true of other professions like nurses, et cetera, is that if we want our children to have a quality education, we must take care of the teachers that teach them. Who is going to provide the quality education if all of the teachers are driven out of the profession Mm -hmm. for whatever reason? The same is true, like I said, of nurses. If we want quality healthcare, we have to have nurses to help provide the quality healthcare. We must take care of the people who are caring for our children and to create the conditions under which Asking them to work in an environment is untenable, is actually harming our children. We think that we're harming some bigger, you know, like, oh, we don't like those administration or we don't like their unions or whatever it is that some people, not, not all people by any stretch, but some people feel like they are railing against, but they're actually harming our, the children of their community. And the idea that teachers who are overqualified and underpaid in many cases are responsible to pay for literal basic supplies to do their job is it's ridiculous in every other setting. Truly, every other setting provides the basic supplies needed to do your job. Right. If you go to work at Target and they hire you as a cashier, 
they provide the cash register. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They provide you the name tag. The little scanner gun or whatever you're little, using. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, here's your check lane and the light to turn on if you need help. Like, that is provided by the organization that employs you. Right. If We would never expect a nurse to be like, and be sure to bring your own IV kits. <laughs> no, that's, that's silly. Yeah. Right? That's silly. It needs to be provided by the medical institution that they're employed by. But teachers on average spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $700 of their own money every year on supplies. And the supplies are directly benefiting our children. One of the most common things I heard from teachers as I was exploring this issue is that teachers provide a ton of food and hygiene supplies for students who cannot afford it. And we all know that teachers send home lists of like, please bring in crayons and markers and all of those kinds of things. And many parents, to the best of their ability, do provide those things for their children. But some children's parents truly cannot. And some children's parents truly do not have food to feed their children lunch or breakfast. Right. And they may be getting lunch or breakfast at school. But they may, that may not be enough food, especially if they are not going to get dinner at home. Mm -hmm. Also, if you've had kids in school recently, you know that they give kids approximately 10 minutes to eat lunch. Seriously. They literally get about 10 minutes to shovel food in because then there's scheduling issues with the lunchroom. They don't want them to just sit around and throw food at each other, like <laughs> hurry up and, qu and quickly eat. Yeah. But it literally is about 10 minutes to eat. And what if you're still hungry? You don't have, you don't get a chance to like go back through the line and get some more. No. Teachers are providing snacks, soap, basic everyday supplies that you would expect children to be getting at home, but they're not. And teachers have compassion for those children and see the repercussions of having children who are not having their basic needs met in their classroom. It impacts not just that child, but the entire classroom community. Right. So that was where my idea was born, that if we could help do more than just buy markers for teachers, if we could give teachers money for the actual things they need for their classrooms. Maybe it's a set of classroom novels for kids whose parents will never be able to buy a reading book, or maybe it's some kind of grant that teachers would get that would help provide additional training for something. There's, there's a huge variety of things that teachers could use the money for. That was really my thought process behind it. Well, it was such a beautiful thing to see you raise so much money and do so much good with that. And you've done it also mm -hmm. with helping get $50 million of medical debt forgiven. Maybe it's even more now, but that's what it I is. It's a $147 million oh of gosh. medical debt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. My numbers were a little bit off. And see, this is why <laughs> sometimes when I watch your stories, I'm a little bit intimidated. Like, how does she keep all of this. I know if I tried to do your job, I would get the facts wrong so fast because it's so much stuff to remember <laughs> all the numbers and all the facts and all the things that you keep straight. It's amazing to me. But thank you. Yeah, 150 million, 147. Million? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's so incredible. That and then the 
again, this might, number might be wrong, but a half million dollars <laughs> that you raised for Christmas this year? Yes, it was. Oh it ended gosh. up being just over $600,000. Oh my gosh. That was given out in largely in the form of gift cards to needy families that were nominated by other people. And many times families that are really struggling at the holidays, if they qualify via, if they qualify, like their income allows them to qualify for certain programs, they might be able to sign their child up for like an angel tree or a salvation army or something along those lines. And their child might be able to get a gift via that method. But that doesn't solve the larger family problem of we are behind on our rent Mm -hmm. or I can't pay the water bill or my husband recently died. And we, I, I have been a stay-at-home parent and I have no idea how I will get a job to support these children or any number of scenarios. If somebody's child has cancer and the parents want to be off work to take care of the child or they need to be off of work to take care of the child. There's endless scenarios in which families find themselves in a situation that they had not planned for. And that is through no fault of their own. Because mm-hmm. life is hard and horrible things hard. happen to people. That's right. Undeserved, horrible things happen to people all the time. And if we can sort of come alongside them and say, here's a thousand dollars to in gift cards to Walmart or Target or whatever, at the very least, that may not pay their electric bill, but it will account for a lot of their regular living expenses that then might free up there are other funds to pay for things like utility bills. Mm-hmm. If you don't have to worry about food this month or clothes for your children or whatever, you might have enough funds to pay some of your your other important things. Right. A lot of it was given out in gift cards. And so that makes just over three and a half million dollars that this community has raised in one calendar year. Unbelievable. So cool. And I love that being a part of your community not only means that you're learning smart things (laughs) all the time from you, but also part of a really big, really good cause all the time. All the time. I feel like you're putting energy into raising money or donating money or helping people out who we're not only making a difference with becoming more open-minded and understanding, but also using if all $5 is all you have to give, you're using that to become part of this greater good that's doing a lot of really, really impactful things in the world. So I think that's incredible that you have taken your influence and led with that in mind. Thank you. I love also when people truly don't have much to give and they give 50 cents Yeah. or they give $1 because they believe that giving is important. The principle of giving is important and they want to be part of something that is doing something good in the world. And to me, those small gifts of like, I only have my Venmo balance of $1.22. To me, that is just as meaningful as somebody who is able to to send me $3,000. Right. And it's not that I don't appreciate the $20 gifts or $50 gifts or whatever. I absolutely do it. They add up quickly. But For me, some of it is, some of the most important aspect of it is the intent behind the gift. 100%. And the intent behind giving 50 cents can be absolutely as meaningful, if not more, to that person than somebody who has millions of dollars and has the ability to just write a huge check and they'll never miss it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is why the story of the widow's might, whether you are a Jesus believer or not, it's even if you look at it as, 
a meaningful fable or something. The, the story of the widow's might is so beautiful because it is that principle of she gave the tiniest little bit, but it was all she had and that that was just everything. So I really love that too. I think that's such a beautiful principle. Mm-hmm. I have a question that I'm dying to ask you. <laughs> okay. I feel like history repeats itself and that Americans or just our country as a whole could really learn a lot from the past. What do you think is maybe one really good lesson that you feel like we could all learn from if you could pull one thing out of history and say, everybody just needs to remember this. Can you think of like one thing that you wish every American would know and understand from the past, from our past? I think one of the principles that we would all be well reminded to keep close to us, that we would all benefit from just like hiding this in our heart, is that the first toe off the path towards dehumanizing another group of people is it's generally not obvious. You don't, Mm -hmm. you don't notice that you have started heading in the wrong direction, but it starts very innocuously with jokes about their appearance Mm -hmm. or about the, the way somebody does their hair or why do you have that spray tan or the manner in which somebody speaks. It starts very innocuously with a little joke that is meant to dehumanize somebody. It's a joke at their expense. And maybe that is not somebody's intent behind it. But those kinds of actions then are able to flourish sort of in in the dark those those thoughts, those feelings then begin to grow and they become part of your actions. Like where do your actions come from? They come from your thoughts. Yes. Keeping your own thoughts under control will impact your actions and what you think and do absolutely does impact the rest of the world. So anytime that we have taken steps towards dehumanizing another group of people, Mm -hmm. it has ended poorly. Yes. Thinking in terms of the multiple hundreds of years of legal slavery that the United States engaged in, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the internment of Japanese Americans in internment camps where they were forced to give up all their earthly possessions, their businesses, etc. And there are many, many other examples that I could give you of similar situations that all begin with the same principle of dehumanizing somebody else because it makes it when you dehumanize somebody what you're doing is you're thinking of them as somebody who is like they're not even worth talking to right oh my gosh they're not even worth they're not even worth it very frequently people who are deeply racist will not say to you i'm deeply racist they're not going to identify that in themselves they also will not like it if you identify it in them either Mm -hmm. (laughs) but but To me, that must be the guiding principle of we we do not engage in that type of thinking, words, or actions, because that will never lead us somewhere worth going. Yes. Amen to that. I am so glad that you brought that up because I went to Rwanda in 2015, and it was top 10 
things in my life that have changed me. Like walking away from that experience, I will never be the same. And I went through their Holocaust Museum or the Rwandan Genocide Museum. They have a museum mm-hmm. in Rwanda. And you walk through this, it's it's a museum displaying each of the Holocaust that we have history of in our world. And mm-hmm. it just shows over and over how history repeated itself. And it's exactly what you're saying. I didn't even like purposely set you up for that, but it just is amazing that that's what you brought up because that's what I, I saw it. And it was like, these people did this and killed a bunch of people. And then after said, we'll never do it again, never again. And then it happened again and it happened again and again and again. And the Rwandan Holocaust happened in my life to like in the nineties when I was a kid, when I was like 10 years old and the Rwandan people are so different. The, the adults that are about my age and your age are so just still rattled by that because most of it was their parents who died in that genocide. And it's exactly what you said. Somebody looks a little different. Their nose is different. Their appearance is different. So let's get rid of that whole part of society. And I think sometimes we think, oh, we would never do that. But it's exactly what you're saying is dehumanizing a certain group, a certain type of people, the way they look or the way they talk or the way they were educated or not educated or whatever. That experience changed me forever and really opened up my eyes and heart to the sensitivity of how easily you can walk into that trap. People do not wake up one morning in 1930s Germany and be like, you know what? Let's have a Holocaust. Let's just kill a bunch of people today. No. They did not wake up one morning and set out to exterminate 6 million people based on their ethnicity. It happened slowly. Mm -hmm. The feelings grew slowly. The actions of Nazi Germany happened quickly, but the feelings grew slowly Mm -hmm. in the dark. And that is why it is important that we don't even step toe off the path. Right. Not even with like the off-color jokes or the the emoji left in a comment on a Facebook post. Yeah. Like the the clown emoji that is so popular right now. That is a step towards dehumanization mm-hmm. where you are categorizing somebody who holds that political belief as a clown. That's a that's a dehumanizing activity. Right. We we don't see it as much in the United States in terms of ethnic group, like we're going to try to kill off an ethnic group. There are certain people who definitely believe that, but we are seeing it more today in terms of dehumanizing people who do not believe the same things that we do, who did not vote the same way that we do. Right. Right. And it's scary. And it's, that kind of goes back to what I was asking in the beginning of how do we teach our kids that America is a safe, really wonderful incredible place to live, even though sometimes it feels scary because I remember turning on the presidential debate and my kids were like, mommy, why are these, why are these adults like name calling each other? Why are they being so mean to each other? You know? Right. So it, but I think it's what you said is just, I love how you put that, that you've got to control your thoughts because your thoughts become things like your thoughts become actions Mm -hmm. and, and, it snowballs. It doesn't just start with one day you wake up with some wild idea to kill a bunch of people. Such a powerful insight and and thought. And I just love that you shared that because that is personally means a lot to me too. 
My last question for you is if there's one message that you want the people listening to this interview to remember, what do you want that one message to be? One of the things that I would tell you is that when you have one of those days that is just like, you know what? Forget it. There's just no, there's no hope. There's no, like, it's never going to be okay. It's never going to be fixed. Try one more time. Mm. Just, just try one more time. You don't have to, it's actually not your responsibility to fix the entire world. We sometimes feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. Yep. It just feels so heavy. Like, how will we ever fix the 68 million problems <laughs> that exist in the world? And that's actually not your job. It's not your job to fix the world, but it is your job to do something. You can do something. You don't have to do everything. No one is expecting you to do everything. If you can just try one more time and realize that it's not your responsibility to fix it all, that there is hope and trying one more time, just putting that one foot in front of the other is going to get you much farther down the path than just remaining where you are stuck and hopeless. That all it takes is just a one tiny step trying one more time and doing what you can with what you have, with the resources available to you, with where you are in your life. Beautiful message. So well said. Oh my gosh. Sharon, thank you so much for this interview and for your time. Where can people find you if they just loved this and learned so much and want to keep learning from you? Thank you so much. My Instagram handle is at Sharon says so. My website is SharonMcBan.com and that's linked on my Instagram handle. And my podcast is called Sharon Says So and you can just find it on wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Awesome. We'll link to all of those things in the show notes too. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.